In 2019, the film Parasite shocked the world by becoming the first non-English movie to win the Best Picture Award. A gory, dark comedy about the ills of modern society, this movie has deep themes about capitalism, colonialism, and the standoff between the two halves of the Korean Peninsula. Through a complicated series of cons, the Kim family gains entry to the domestic lives of the parks. It should be a happy ending for them, but things take an unexpected turn that I'd rather not spoil here. Suffice it to say, things get as dark as a cellar hideout. We went into this movie completely cold, so everything was a surprise. Get some soju and travel with us to the land of BTS and Bulgogi. It's time for episode 67 of Toasting the Classics, Parasite. Welcome to Toasting the Classics, the podcast where we take something that people call a classic and we drink something inspired by the classic and talk about it. And we're going to decide whether it actually is a classic. So we have a film this week. By the way, my name is Dave McCarthy. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and I'm Clint Lanier. Yeah, so we are doing a film this week, my choice, and I went completely cold. I chose something I hadn't seen before. Don't didn't know anything about other than the director I was vaguely familiar with, and I knew it won Best Picture, so I figured that was the imprimatur that we needed to put it on the show. So it's very recent, 2019's Best Picture winner, Parasite. I wasn't sure on that, and I didn't put it in the previous thing. Is the picture that wins in 2019 called the 2019 Best Picture, or is it the or is it the movie that was released in 2019? I think it's the it's the year that it's released. So that's so. This was released in 2018. Released in 19. So, so it would have won in February of 2020. February of 2020. But I so think it's, it's a, called the 2019 Best Picture winner. I, I, I think yeah. I messed that up. So I was yeah, trying I to look. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's right. I think. That's yeah, right. I think that's right. I couldn't quite get that confirmed, but um, you know, there were bigger things going on in everybody's lives in February of 2020. Well, no, I guess it was a little early, wasn't it, for COVID? So I guess I guess things hadn't quite gone off the rails yet at that point. Yeah, that was that was the last moment of normalcy, I suppose, is February 2020. Well, I don't know if you'd call the Oscars normal, but it, yeah, it was it was pre pre COVID. We um, used to do a party. We used to do an Oscar party every year at our house, or we'd invite everybody over and do like a you know you'd do like a nomination sheet where you'd, uh -huh. you'd put your pool like like you do with the like you uh -huh. have a bracket where you choose who do you who do you think's going to win that's, we'd have uh, a contest for it. that's that's fun it's funny it sounds fun i i never got that invitation that's oh no we never did it at cruises no I, that's oh what I okay gonna, all right <laughs> we, um, I think we never we did it with you first year we tried it the uh -huh. first year we were in cruises and then uh -huh. it was something about the oscars just started to fade it didn't seem as relevant oh, anymore right right yeah. we sort of stopped watching it over the years i would say in the early 2010s, we were doing that every year. And then we tried it like one time mm -hmm. before I started hanging out with you, I think 2016, 2017. And then well, we they stopped. They they did used to be a lot more fun. I'll say that. They they haven't been, I mean, like the Billy Crystal, and the Whoopi Goldberg days, and you know, oh, yeah, the, back the, in the, day, the, yeah. the fun time, you know. And and uh, I think the Golden Globes, is that the one that Ricky Gervais has, has been uh -huh. hosting? Those are still pretty fun because he gets up there and skewers everybody and 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 stuff. Like they're still comedians. What was a comedian that was supposed to host it? He's he made like a stupid Twitter joke like ten years ago about oh. teach his son not to be gay or something like that. Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. Yeah, Kevin oh. Hart. He he got because <laughs> Chris Rock obviously infamously not infamously yeah, but right, infamously right. did it this last time. But I mean, it, it just became, I think when, when they canceled him, then they decided to go without a host or something stupid like that. Anyway, but before we, before we move on, I will say I had my reservations about this pick because let me read you. Really? Yes. Let me, let me read okay. you definition of classic. Okay. okay. Now this okay. is the definition. This is probably of, something we should have talked about a long time ago. Right. Right. All right now, go ahead. Let's... So judged over a period of time. To be right. of the highest quality and outstanding of its kind. Now, okay, okay. Now, now let me let me read you another definition because all all words have multiple, typically multiple meanings or nuances. A work of art of recognized and established value. Now, the difference is the first one is an adjective, second one is a noun. We it's can't a say noun. We're we're yeah. toasting the classics. Transitive verb and the object noun is classic. <laughs> right. So the, we can't say this is a classic movie because that would be an right. adjective. And that would be incorrect. We could say this movie. Well, we can't do it anyway. We can say, "What do you think about this classic?" 
Right. And that this would be movie is now. a classic. No, no, no. Because that would be, wouldn't that be a, that'd be a modifier. No, that's, no, that's indefinite article and a noun. That's a predicate, uh, nominate, predicate nominative noun. And that's all get a classic because the subject of the, if of I the... say this is a classic, a modifies a noun. So it'd be, well, I know, but if you say this movie is a classic though. This movie is a classic. Oh, that's I see. Yeah, but it's still a, mod- still a modifier. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I, I might have to. I might have to logic complain against that one. Anyway, whatever. Well, I um, would say in response to that, and that's. <laughs> okay. I, I like that. That's interesting. I love having a definition to work with, so I like that. But what I would say to that is that they say journalism is the first draft of history. And I say toasting the classics by approaching something that has been not named best picture and is attempting to get into the classic canon. We are the first draft of history. I and see. The first I see. draft of how time is going to judge this thing. So, I guess it depends at the end of this episode whether I decided it's a classic or not. That's right. Right. It's, so, well, so you know, considering considering that I didn't know anything about it, I think my vote is going to be unbiased. It's not. I didn't pick this because I love this and know. Right. It right. Yeah, yeah. I could same, vote, same here. I could theoretically vote against it. I, same I here. Say. Well, let, let's let's get on with it and quit boring the two people that listen to this show. Don't you what? think there's a lot of grammar nerds out there that are just like, <laughs> you know, laying I think back there, should, and really there could be a podcast it? just just for grammar, I think. But um, yeah. do you want to do you want to sum up the movie for us? Yeah, this is a story. Um, so this is a famous uh, South Korean director who's got a pretty good pedigree already, even for releasing things internationally. Um, and I want to be careful about the names. I have trouble with South Korean with Korean names, but it's Bong. Uh, Jun Ho, I think, is his name, right? Did I get that right? I think so. I, I believe so. Yeah. So he has he has he has a pretty good track record as somebody releasing his films all over the world. And this one is the story of a poor South Korean family. I think it's Seoul. I think it's a neighborhood of Seoul that they live in, but I'm not 100 percent sure mm-hmm. on that. I believe yes, it is. It is Seoul. Okay. Mm-hmm. They worm their way into the lives of a very wealthy family. You know, with a lot of sort of. So, sort of your Hitchcock style, like con artist tricks and stuff like that. To, you know, their, their stories and stuff. It's very, very fun to watch that stuff. They worm their way into this family's lives. And then the movie takes a bizarre twist in the middle, which spoiler alert. And as we say, don't listen to the show if you haven't seen these movies and you don't want things ruined for you. But in the middle of the movie, they discover a the previous occup- the previous service staff of the house living underneath the house in what looks like a bomb shelter. And a conflict arises between those two families of lower class people and everything just completely the, the you know what hits the fan in the final half an hour of the film. And we get uh, just a, an insane uh, conclusion to the movie by, by my standards. I was like, what is what is happening here? But, <laughs> right, right. So that's the basic plot. I mean, the really the plot's the plot's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Um, it's, I thought, super creative idea for a plot based on a couple of things outside. Mm-hmm. And some real stories. I thought it was a really creative plot. And that's something that I really, I think some of the great authors in history just are really good at coming up with just, you know, intricate new plots. This one didn't 100% remind me of anything else. And I, I appreciate that in this day and age. Everything is so derivative mm-hmm. um, that I'm always happy to see something original. So I thought this was pretty original. And I, I, I thought it was a good, good plot, good story. And I thought the execution was excellent. What did you think? Did I miss anything in the synopsis? I mean, you mentioned that they worm their way into this kind of wealthy family. I think, I think the protagonists of the movie, that you know, the ones that worm their way in, I think maybe just pointing out like how like wretchedly poor they are. They, you know, they live in complete squalor. I mean, literal squalor, just scraping by. I think that's something to talk about actually before okay. before you go on to something else. I, All right. Do they? I mean, they're poor relative uh-huh. to other people in South Korea today. Yeah, but. Yeah. It's pretty remarkable. Like I grew up around a lot of people whose parents were Korean immigrants and the country they came from was a genuinely poor country, like, mm-hmm. like a third world country. Right. And right. to have that have changed so much so that like these are depicted as being poor people who, you know, they still live indoors and have, and have, you know, the basics of life and things like that. Like, right. It, I think it shows in a weird sort of way, the huge development of South Korea in the last 50 years. Um, I, I was noticing, I was like, how poor are these people really? I mean, how would you feel? But I think that's a big part of the film is I think a lot of South Koreans are very unhappy about, about the way their society has changed in a weird sort yeah. of way. Because to me on the outside, South Korea seems very vibrant. Like we get movies from there and, and their music is popular all over the world and stuff. That seems like a healthy society, but you never hear anybody say anything good about South Korea. 
everybody seems very unhappy. It's, yeah. it's strange. It's a strange thing about that country. Well, I mean, they're certainly doing better than their northern neighbors, but um, right. Yeah, I, you know, you're, you're right in that in the, in the sense of being poor or impoverished or whatever you want to call it, they they are doing better than somebody in say Botswana, you know, who might be yeah. living outside without a shelter and you know and so forth. So they have, I guess, the basics. But the director does a really good job um, showing us, you know, just sort of how poor, and they're poor because they can't find work, you know. Uh, right. The, the mother and the father are both out of work. Um, and I think the same with the brother and the sister. So all four of them are, you know, they just can't find a job. Their job as the movie starts is folding pizza boxes. Folding pizza, pizza boxes, food. right. Which I was um, just like, I want to got to just be a joke. <laughs> yeah, I want to get back to that. You know, at first they're out of work and then the point is they're scraping by, right. right? And then there's this other family, the Park family. So in, in Korean, is it the family name is the first name? And then yes. the the yes. last name is the... What we like, would what, call what, the surname. What we would right. call the surname is the first name. So Bong ah, Jun okay. Ho. So that's everybody in his family is named Bong. And then there's ah. Jun Ho and Young Ma. I, and I see, I see. People. It's, just, it's just reversed. Exactly. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. So, so the Park family then is mega rich and right. they have a number of servants they have a driver they have a tutor for their child uh they have an art teacher or therapist i guess uh for their other right. child and then they have a servant uh, um kind of a housekeeper type person housekeeper, right right um i thought the so, dad was american at first because they, they showed his name they showed his name was nathan park and I was expecting him to be American because I was like, oh, this is going to be a, a Korean American guy. And I was like, are, are people in Korea named things like Nathan, like Nathan well, Park? They even think, do it with first name, last name. Yeah. So I, I can I cannot get these names right and I can't get them it's, straight. It's out, difficult. So. It's, so actually, so me, I was making a conscious so, effort when I was reading about it to remember that it's the surname first and then the first right. name. And it did help me actually get my head right. around people's names. So because, Kai, Kai, Kai Wu or Ki Wu? Uh -huh. um, the the main sort of the main character he's the he's the son. Who who would you say is the protagonist? You think the son is the pro? I guess I so. think so. I think yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, so his they call him Kevin. So Mrs. Park calls him Kevin. Immediately they call his sister. Oh, Jessica. Jessica? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Mrs. Park actually says, "We'll call you Jessica." So they're they're sort of they're sort of infatuated with the United States and with the UK yeah. and with the Western kind of societies, and so they. Yeah. Yeah. an English tutor is right. way into their houses because they're trying to learn English. So right. there's immediately, I don't know what you'd call it, like a neo-imperialist, colonialist, some oh, some kind of huge. vibe. Oh, huge. Some kind of vibe yeah. going on there. So yeah. Yeah. if you saw um, The Host, do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Did you see that movie? It's, that sounds familiar. The, the monster is created by an American uh, scientist just pouring chemicals down a drain in Korea, which then creates this terrible monster that kills everyone. So, oh, okay. All this right. is um, this is not new to right. uh, this director's right. works. I mean, it's it's definitely an issue, and I and I think he's probably ambiguous about the influence of English and and the West and things. I don't think it's an it's like a hundred percent like a hatred kind of thing. It's not some kind of anti-colonialist. Well, we didn't colonize Korea, I guess is what I'm saying. I don't know if it's all negative, yeah. but I, I think it is. <laughs> I think okay. it is. I um I mean immediately when you when you watch this movie, you know that it has deeper connotations. It's not oh yeah, it's not a it's not oh, yeah. a surface level movie. And so I went out and I started looking at some of the criticism out there. The criticism meaning like scholarship type of stuff. Um sure. and, and it really oh, that's is cool. I'm glad you got to do that. Yeah, it really it really is. Um, very anti-imperialist, very anti-colonial, uh, you know, colonial and anti-capitalist. Um, anti-capitalist, one hundred percent. Yeah, I think that's that's a hundred percent what this guy does. I mean, right. but I don't. I, what was um? So there's the whole thing. The child is obsessed with Native Americans, right? And dresses like a Native American and stuff like that. Right. And I kept thinking while I was watching the movie, I was like, what? What is he saying? I know he's saying something with that, but I couldn't quite get it. And then the last scene where the guy bursts out from the basement and he's got blood all over his face. So he looks like he's in war paint and he attacks mm -hmm. somebody with an ax. I was like, oh, mm -hmm. maybe there is just a joke. Like they're just playing the Native American thing for a weird visual joke yeah. at the end of the movie. But I think it has more to do with themes of oppression and things like, and, and imperialism, stuff like that. Well, going I into a house, going into a I house and then finding out somebody else is living there. 
is sort right. of a metaphor for what yeah. Americans did with Native Americans, I suppose. That's, ex- um, that's exactly right. No, that's that's the metaphor. You know, it's it's America. You know, came to came. Well, sorry, Western Europeans came to America, right. found other people there, and moved in, right? Right. And then and then oppressed them, and then right. reproduces and capitalizes on that culture because uh, the tent or the tent, the teepee was was from America. Yeah. Yeah, remember that? Yeah, Made in America true. or some yeah. import. I got it from America or something like he says, that. He says, "Don't worry, it won't fall down. We bought it from America." I was yeah, like, "Yeah, exactly." Yeah, I don't know about and that. So, <laughs> and so they, yeah, right. Then they capitalize on on what they just conquered, you know. And so that's the imperialist, you know, part. So you know, I definitely, I definitely did see that there. Capitalism for sure. You've got a division of classes, yes. pure Marxism. Uh, you've got a division of classes. You've got a uh, the upper class can't operate without the lower class. They need servants because they can't do right. anything themselves. They're completely incompetent. They can't yeah. cook themselves food or wash dishes right. or anything. Right. So. Can't do anything. And then you know the lower class. Uh, of of course, there's there's no getting ahead for the lower class at all. You know, there's mm. no there's nothing to bridge that gap between them. Uh, it seems. So those are kind of on the on the outset. Those are sort of I think the easy metaphors that you can see. Um, I had problems with that, though. I really, I really sort of did because I think, I think in Marxism, in true Marxism, classes can't—they don't have like a vertical, uh, an ability to to move vertically, right? They're they're sort of kept where they are by a system that's designed to keep them there and exploit their labor, right? There's a lot of sense in this movie that. The Kim family are kind of idiots, you know. They're they're sort of losers by because of like they they create their own loss. Like for example, the brother is. And just to clarify for the listeners, the Kim family is the lower class family right, that um, right. ends up infesting the uh, yeah. upper yeah, class they're, house. They're sort of they're sort of the focus, right? But right. so the the brother who who we'll just say is main, one of the main protagonists, you know, he keeps failing his tests. To get get into college, yeah. What's what's going on there? Because he seems right? very smart. I don't understand right. why he's failing his test. He, he 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 can't he can't pass his test. Okay, so is that the fault of the system? His his best friend, however, is in college, is doing well, so has money. This is a thing that goes back in any of the countries that's influenced by Confucianism in East uh-huh. Asia, Japan, Korea, China, to some extent, Vietnam. There's this long relationship with the tests. Because right. back to the ancient times of China, you had a testing system that was very rigorous and very extreme, and just uh, people would fail it and just not be able to succeed in life. And so this is a big mm-hmm. theme in East Asia, is, mm-hmm. these, is this testing system. And mm-hmm. the tests in Korea, it's, it's worse than what we do here. Like we have mm-hmm. the SATs. And if you have some merit, you can study for the SATs and do pretty well. And in Korea, it's a system of people are, they get out of school and they go to a testing center for like five hours after school every day in order to be able to pass these tests. Mm -hmm. And it's a very oppressive system. A regular person, I mean, the the Kim family could not afford to send their kid to private lessons to take these tests after school. It's like a warping of of what's supposed to be a meritocracy, but what ends up being just another tool of oppression. And so I think they have a different relationship by saying that he's failing the tests. I think you and I hear, well, why don't you, t- you know, study for mm-hmm. your SATs, like get your, mm-hmm. get your act together. But this is worse than that. This is, this is like something you just probably, I think what the, or anyway, what the author is saying is that you just can't do it. You can't compete. There's no I, smart kid off the street. That's going to be able to bang the door well, down and get into the tests. Yeah, and I, don't, I, don't, I can't, I can't really judge that because I don't know the nature of their tests, but I know how yeah. Koreans feel about those tests. And so I think well, that's a difference. I, but I mean, there's a little bit of pushback in that, you know, in England, you have to, you have to pass exams, uh-huh. you know, yeah. from between essentially A-level, L, yeah. yeah, your A-levels. And that decides what school you're going to go to. And that could decide your future. You can be a pipe fitter uh-huh. or you're going to be a, you know, a, a lawyer based yeah. on the school you go to. So and like every single one of the Beatles went to vocational school because that's what they tested yeah. into, you know, uh, in Liverpool. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I understand. Yeah, there's certainly some cultural context that I don't get, nuance that I don't get. Uh, the other examples of stupid pizza boxes that you mentioned. They screw them up. They screw up the pizza boxes. They yeah. screw up folding it. And so they, you know, I'm going to, I can't pay you for, for this. And they're like, come on. And then she argues about it. You know, she argues yeah. about, 
about getting paid. Like the boss, you know, the, the pizza shop owner or whatever, you know, is doing something wrong by not paying her. Well, she didn't, she didn't do the job that she's supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's on her. You know, that's the, on her. The director's view on it, I believe. And there was uh-huh. a quote that said that he said it, it, it would take Kevin 547 years to be able to make enough money to pay for the house that he wants to buy at the end of the film. And so I think he's just saying it's just impossible. Like you're just never going to reach the level of the parks. It's impossible. It can't ever happen. The other guy who wrote the screenplay had a different take and he thought that the other guy would figure something out. And I think they had sort of a conflict about that, about whether or not Kevin would end up freeing his father. Yeah. I Um, guess, I guess it just depends on whether you're a pessimist or optimist. And I think, you know, Marxism yeah. is, is a very pessimistic. What I hear from South Korea is people are very pessimistic. It's yeah. it's kind of depressing when you hear how people talk mm. about that country because it seems like a country that has done incredibly well for itself mm. as, a, mm. as a whole. But it seems to have created a, a very poignant sense of class division and, and, the, mm. and just absolute rat race to try to get ahead mm. there. I don't know. I don't live there. I've never visited. I just mm. know what I read from people there. And uh, it's a it's it's pessimistic take on their society is very common. Mm. Again, it's strange because it seems to me like someone like this that created a movie that's gone big all over the world and has become a self-made millionaire mm-hmm. would have a different take. But, you know, maybe he's, um, I don't know, maybe he's got more integrity than that or something. He's not just thinking about himself or maybe he's thinks that maybe he self-consciously thinks that would make him more popular to talk that way. It's hard to read people's <laughs> mind. I don't know. Yeah. I've always wondered about that. Why, you know, rich socialists. I, I don't, yeah. I don't quite, I don't quite get that by the way, uh, before we. Oh, I was going to say there is a, there's a track on the soundtrack of this, of this movie called one glass of soju. Oh, oh, okay. and uh, that is my, that is my segue to what we're drinking today, which is uh, okay. a Korean now, is this the one that's the rice wine? So therefore, it's not. No, this, this is, is actually this, this is, is distilled, distilled from spirit. barley. Yeah. This is yeah. distilled okay. spirit. So th- this is the one I got. This is uh, Jinro Chamisol. This one right here. Yeah, I got it. I got a Jinro also. Yeah, Jinro means dew water. I think is what it means. Something like that. Yeah, is that right. Yeah, yeah. Jin means dew, and Ro means I think alcohol. That's what dew dew alcohol essentially. Sujo means burned alcohol. So maybe I've got this wrong. That's what soju means? Oh, interesting. Soju okay. means, let me just make sure of this before I lie to everybody. And I tell their friends well, in the only, bar. It's only two Gee. people, so it's just a venal sin. That's a that's a good that's a good point. But one might say to the other, you know what what this means in the bar and then get attacked. So uh soju means burned liquor. Oh, noju means do liquor. What the hell is Jinro mean? Jinro, huh. I can't remember. We talked about this before when we did the Enter the Dragon episode, but I had had so much to drink that night that I don't remember much of anything that we talked about. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I still think that stands as our sloppiest episode, but I think it was very entertaining, actually. But I think yeah, in terms was, of how much alcohol we ingested, I think that was the that sloppiest. Was, that was back to back. Huh, I'm always surprised how drinkable this is. This does not taste like a spirit to me. It's very light. Well, it's very, you know, it's, it's only 20% alcohol. Mine's only 20% right. alcohol it, by volume. Mine's 25, which is like, to me, that's, you know, about like a wine. Yeah. But it's a little stronger. A little yeah. bit, you can taste a little bit well, more alcohol than you can in wine. Wines are usually only about 12% or 15. I, I was thinking of proof. I hate, I hate proof. It just means there's more math right. for me to right. make a mistake with. So you're supposed to pour it with two hands. I'm pouring it with two hands. And you're supposed to receive the cup with two hands. So I guess I'll drink it with two hands. And you are you supposed because, to have the other guy pour for you. Is that a rule? Right, right. But yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say you owe me because tradition here is the youngest serves the oldest. So oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm about a month older than you. I think we've established that. Yeah, that's a big thing in Korean culture. Also, mm-hmm. people have to when when people hang out with each other, they have to mm-hmm. they have to figure out as quickly as they can who's oldest because it's right. important. Like it's a th- then, thing you have to know. I've definitely had that conversation with people oh, before. Interesting. Um, you'll, be, you'll be sitting at a table and one guy's like 42 and everybody else is 41. So he's in charge. It's weird. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. So did so. you get flavored? No. Uh, so no, mine is not flavored. Mine I, is. is mine. Mine's original as well. Distilled from grain, potato, and sweet potato. Okay. So this is, this is kind of weird. And this is one of those things where, all right, so you have soju, you have baiju, which is a Chinese version. So Baiju's we drink. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we drank we drank soju because we couldn't get baiju. For couldn't get baiju. Yeah. yeah. So uh, soju, baiju, both same thing. There is, and then there's vodka. 
Okay. Right. So they're all exactly the same. So it I just suppose that's on, true. Yeah. So so it really just depends on where you go. I think what what country you're in, but it, it's interesting in that. Except the, except a notable difference is that vodka is much stronger. No, you can get these up to fifty three percent alcohol. Oh, which okay. Is but over I mean, this is like, I don't I don't think you can get vodka that's only twenty five percent. I wish I would probably drink it more often because Russians you can, you drink can, it like it's a it's a table drink. You can water so. it down. <laughs> you could idea. water it down, I suppose. Yeah, it might taste <laughs> gross, though. Although yeah, well, you know, vodka doesn't yeah. taste like much anyway. So right, and I, maybe that's maybe that's the thing. The point of vodka, well, it used to be the point of vodka was to take any flavor out of it because he wanted this right. completely neutral spirit. The the new vodkas that they make nowadays, they're trying to preserve an essence of something in there, but like you know, like a flavor or a scent or something. Uh, mm -hmm. That's why they're making it with all kinds of crazy stuff. But I don't know. It's just. When I do like um, judging for spirit competitions and stuff, and I have to judge uh, a vodka, I'm always torn. Like, and uh, what what website would you do that judging for? Uh, oh, it's barley corn uh, barley corn drinks. I think is what it's called. Thank you very much. So, and it's the uh, John Barleycorn Awards. But uh, I always wonder, like, what am I, what exactly do I want to judge it for? For the lack of any flavor, for the lack of any nose, for the lack of, or sh or should I judge it for having that stuff? And if so then I can judge it on the qualities of those things. But I guess I'm always torn because traditionally vodka would have none of that stuff. Anyway, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. Let's get back to the movie. Oh, it's an alcohol-related tangent. That's part of the yeah, show. Yeah, that's true. No, that's true. I think as the show has gone on, I think we have less and less percentage of the episode is us talking about the drinks. That's true. Oh, it gets to be a little bit more repetition when it comes to the drinks. It's like, yeah, yeah. I think the listeners know how whiskey works and what, what <laughs> right, vodka right. is. So, what, what how to make beer and stuff maybe yeah, i should um, step up my game on researching the drinks a little bit more like get some history no, or something okay. there's even a violent revolt at the end right so it's definitely yeah. a little bit of uh that's exactly right yeah absolutely the whole the whole smell thing uh, the whole smell thing that's that's hard I, that's one of the most visceral moments for me yeah. of like yeah. of like feeling the class conflict is i feel yeah. really bad for mr kim when that's going on yeah i'm like you know, that's just, I mean, of course, they don't know he's hiding under their table. Yeah, right. And you might say, I guess people might say something like that about somebody. Th that's what prompts him at the very end to react the right. way he reacted and do what he did. Right. You know, it, it's the, under when, 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 it, when it dawned on him that he's insulting this guy just like he insulted me. Oh, right. we're, the, we're the same person. It's that guy that's different. So, yeah. And so there's kind of this class warfare type of thing sort of there's, a shared class consciousness vibe there yeah there's yeah, definitely yeah. i mean there's there's no question about it i mean there's definitely a lot of uh marxist style thinking going on in the film yeah. I, it didn't bother it didn't bother. i think that i guess what i've been trying to say about the way people perceive south korea is that to me if i lived in south korea i think i'd be a lot more sympathetic to marxist criticism of my society hmm. i think things are worse there i think the class divides are very bad there i think the, the problems, capitalism does create class divisions to some extent. I think America is pretty meritocratic. I think you can come up from underneath. So a lot of the time I feel like you'd probably be better served by just working harder and moving up rather than becoming a Marxist. Mm -hmm. But I think some of these older societies, those ancient ways of dividing class can like really negatively reinforce the capitalist divisions of class and become like a prison mm -hmm. for people. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, well, you're talking maybe. about societies that were feudal, like not uh -huh. that long ago, a hundred years ago, or something like very, that. America's never had that, it's very true. You but know? you know, from another America sense, has again, a racial, if, I guess, if, America had a racial caste system for a long time, it's very difficult. And again, if I were an African American, I think it'd be a lot more sympathetic to Marxist criticisms of America. I think it would it would lean me perhaps. towards that a lot more. But again, yeah. you know, South Korea has a, has a, a model of what what Marxism brings just north of their border, you know, That's uh, right. Marxism versus, right. versus capitalism. So, I mean, it's, That's right. it's, it's odd that you would, you would have, I guess my question would be, well, then what's, what's the replacement? I don't you know. know. I think it's just, <laughs> a, that's why I think it's just a critique because the revolt yeah. that he makes doesn't get him anything. Exactly. Yeah. They, you know? Everything's the same. He just ends yeah. up, his own daughter dies. You know, he murders somebody who really didn't harm him in any way. He just insulted him. Insulted him. You know, uh -huh. kills a father in front of the child. That can't possibly be any kind of an, of an argument for what you should do. And again, like you said, there's North Korea right there. This is what happens yeah. when we go full Marxist.
And I think they're aware of that. And North Korea is in this film. The second I saw when they went in the basement and she went mm -hmm. to get the plum stuff, I was like, yeah. oh, this is a bunker. Yeah, it's a bunker. Yeah. Seoul is within artillery fire range yeah. of North Korea. Right. So people in Seoul are very much aware that that there could be a conflict between them and, and they might need to. So the idea of a bunker underneath the house is um, not that unreasonable in a place right. like South I saw that instantly. And by the way, one of the things I thought was one of the funniest bits is when the housekeeper lady is doing the North Korean news anchor impression, like where she's she's like, like I heard that and I was like, that's funny in any language. That sounds exactly the way they sound. Like that's a oh, that's a good something that you that you neglected to point out was that this is a comedy. It's a dark comedy. It's a dark comedy. It's a dark it comedy. A com but yeah, but it, it is a comedy. I mean, there there is a lot of funny stuff going on. It's a movie. comedy very much the way Hitchcock's films were comedies. Yeah. There'd be a murder going on. You know, there'd be mm -hmm. a terrible thing happening, but there'd be these notes throughout the movie where you're laughing. You know, there's mm -hmm. like something it's it's funny, like it's dark comedy, but yeah. I, I yeah, I think it's I thought it was pretty good in that aspect. I yeah, I enjoyed it. Like I need a little humor in a film to keep me from being bored for two hours. It's just the mm -hmm. way my brain works. Yeah. So if you want to get a heavy Marxist message across and do a suspenseful film or a horror film or whatever, right. you better put a couple of laughs in it. Otherwise I'm well, gonna be and it, I'm gonna be bored. Another another note in this film is that the it has it really does have some of those beautiful and meaningful videography. Uh, the videography in this is is completely um, I mean it, it reinforces parts of the movie. Like for example, there's a lot of stairs. There's a lot uh -huh. of upstairs, downstairs going on here. And so, for example, the Kim family lives in a, in a down, it was called, they're called basement apartments. Sub-basement. Whatever. Yeah, sub-basement. Sub I guess because apartment. it's partially above ground. So it's a yeah. sub-basement. And, and versus the uh, Park family who are, are always going upstairs, always traveling up, you know, up and down stairs and stuff. And so they're at the bottom of the stairs. Park family's at the top of the stairs. You know, obviously that's symbolism for kind of where they're located in the society, the, the use of like shadows and, and just the scenes, yeah. just the way the scenes were filmed. Something about the production of this film that, it, that what you're saying reminds me of, and I really wouldn't want it to go without talking about is the house was specially constructed for the yes. film. Yes. And not only specially constructed, like because they needed a beautiful home in the film, but they situated the rooms to receive the sunlight at the time where they knew they'd be filming to get just the right light. That right. is, and this this movie had a budget of fifteen point five million dollars. Yeah, because and they did things like they came up with stories for all the people living on the block with the Kims. Everybody you mm -hmm. see has a backstory, and it's yeah. it's not there. You don't see it at all. But they all have a backstory. Mm -hmm. To me, that kind of mise en scène work makes something so much more. I don't know. There's just a, an air, an aura of realism to the movie that I just right. love because of that. There's the detail and. Again, I'll say this, the budget was $15.5 million. You can do that stuff so much cheaper than you can go buy CGI and whatever the heck they spend money on in these Hollywood right. movies. Right. You know, and then and then everybody's standing in a room where everything looks fake. And yeah. I'm just I'm just I feel like I'm watching actors talk in a fake room because they didn't spend any money on the things like the script yeah. and the and the you know the props. The the Kim's house, their basement uh, apartment. Yeah. is filled with props that make it look like a real person's house. Right. You know? Yeah. And it's it that kind of thing is really important to me. That's the way Spielberg used to do movies. Yeah. Like when you watch ET, that house that they live in is perfect for the for the film that they're going to do and every room has little props all over it that make it look like an actual person's house. Right. And I just right. I just love that stuff. I just love the richness of that. I don't know why people don't make movies like that anymore. I don't know why either. You know, actually creating stuff and, and, and uh, rather than CGI, you know, I think, yeah. I think the realism of, of not, of not having CGI, you know, but, but it's what's going to happen with movies though, Dave is what's happened with music. You went from essentially records to eight tracks, to tapes, to CDs, to MP3. Okay. Now what's happening? We're going, people are going back to records. Records are huge. Everybody's, you know, releasing LPs. My daughter has a record player. She loves LPs. You know, she got the LP of LP of uh, Blink 182's greatest hits or something like that. <laughs> loves it, listens to it all the time, right? So it's yeah. it's all the new artists are re-releasing their stuff on LPs. I'll bet we see this in movies. Like 
like a lo-fi revolution in movies. I would love that. Yeah, I, I think I think love that. I think the absolute uh, pinnacle of CGI is any freaking Marvel movie, especially like yeah. the Avengers yeah. Marvel. And you see that behind the scenes, it's just a green wall behind them. There's nothing yeah. behind. There's nothing there. Yeah. Everything like their weapons are all green. Everything is. We'll yep. put it in later. You know. I, even I the, love even some even, of those even, even some of the characters like Groot is is yeah. you know. Uh, but if you ever seen him make that movie, there's a guy like holding up this. He's got yeah. this thing in front of him with a face like three or four feet up so that they, everybody can see, oh, that's where the face is. So that look there, you know? you know? I don't know how those kind of films end up being as good as they are because they're not bad. I actually really do like some of those movies, but sometimes you can really tell. Oh, I know. But what I'm, saying, in, what know, I'm the, saying is I, I bet the next generation of, of, of directors are going to go back, just like music's going back to LPs. I hope the so. next generation of, really of, of directors are probably going to go back to like Jaws you know, where you have this big freaking shark, you know, that's yeah. actually, you know, uh, uh, a real shark that they made that apparently never worked. But, uh, but it's, not it worked. Just the, it's not just the sharks. It's the, I, I don't know, maybe I'm obsessed with this, but it's the physical locations. You go into Quint's shack and it's this yeah. crazy looking house filled with like shark jaws that have been boiled yeah. up and stuff like it looks like a place right. where some crazy fisherman lives and it, yeah. you feel like you're walking through an actual place because because you are because they actually yeah. filmed it in a real place you, you know what I, was I, really really good th at this that? movie the, this movie the texture of this movie was so pleasing to me because ooh, it got texture that right. i like that i like that word texture yeah, yeah. that's a good good word for it the harry potter movies did that i really liked every time you go in somewhere you're looking at the background for what's there and they would have books they'd have all kinds of great crazy stuff in there and then when you're you right to, about that you're right about you that and when you go to universal studios universal, i was just about to say that hogwarts yeah. they, there's a lot of great background detail that really feels real yeah. there's something there's something the harry potter maybe there's just too much cgi or something or the scripts just aren't very good for the film i just don't yeah. don't enjoy those movies at all yeah, I, well, I really liked the books uh, anyway that's a whole that's a, set design that's but, a whole but, but uh, you're right about this one, and and he and and the director purposely made did that. He per like that was uh, a conscious decision to oh, to create yes. all these props. Oh, yes. He created a lot of them himself, so there's no real brand placement. He made up his own brands. Some of them he he labeled in English, so that English speakers could could read the labels on them. You know, oh, there they was have, a whole thing about read. You know, when she she wants them to make Ramdom, yeah. Right. So Ramdon's not a real thing. He made it's it up. Joke. Yeah, it's a yeah. combination of ramen and udon. Right. And so, and that's what we call them in English. They call them something else in Korean. So they literally right. labeled it in the English version, right. so that Americans could put together the portmanteau of Ramdon and try to figure out what it was. And I'm like, that attention to detail. Is not not bad. only that, not only that, <laughs> but that. also, but also it, it demonstrates the elevation of English uh, sure. and the and the denigration sure. of of Korean. Right, because that's sort of a theme well, to this, right? Like, uh, you know, yeah. she wants to learn English. You, you know, getting a tutor for English, got to pass her English test. Uh, the guys go into America. They went to their. Uh, oh, and when he when he discusses his sister Jessica, he's uh -huh. like, oh yeah, she got her art degree in uh, Chicago, and Mrs. Park is like Chicago or Illinois. Yeah, that's all. Illinois. That's all. She's like, yeah, as an American that. Doesn't yeah, seem like that, a very exotic locale, right? right? Illinois, <laughs> but she's like, but essentially, she's like, that's all I need to know, you know. Yeah, she's, you know, she went to America, and right, you right. recommend her, you know, and 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 everything else, and so yeah, that was that, you know. So I think I think it's just a further kind of showing that English is like un, you know, unjustifiably elevated above korean well you know? it's nice it's nice it, I, yes it's yes it's true it's unjustified the choice of english but having a global language is pretty awesome it's really something that connects people in a lot of ways it's we're lucky i mean i had this conversation with some europeans a while back and i was like i'm very blessed that my native tongue is the world's universal language so that's yeah. unfair but at the same time, aren't you guys glad you have a universal language? And I was talking well, the, to a Norwegian and a Japanese person and somebody from somebody from Spain. And they were like, the, well, yeah, it's pretty we can all talk to each other. But the, but the problem is, as this movie, I think, is is trying to point out, is that uh, it's a universal language for the affluent classes. If you if you are if you are a learn lower, 
yeah. if you're a lower class or disenfranchised from that whole, you know, you don't have a chance then, right? Because you can't yeah. get ahead because you don't know that universal that universal <clears throat> language, you know. Um, so it's I, a universal really language for rich people, you know. I I have a feeling that that's going to become obviated pretty soon because we've got such good natural language technology now. I don't think that the Babel fish, you know, from Hitchhiker's Guide to the yeah. Galaxy, yeah, yeah that's yeah. not that's not far off from being something well, we could have. Well, isn't there you one know? called Babel or something? There's a website um, I mean, there's a, there's... called something about Babel. Yeah, but I just really think that the technology for being able to just have a universal translator yeah. in your hand is really not far away. I mean, in you your hand, in. in your hand, if you have an Android phone, Google makes uh, a set of like AirPod type of thing uh -huh. with automatic translation in them. Imagine. Awesome. So, so somebody's talking to you and it's automatically translating it to whatever your language is. Now, exactly. it, it, can't it can't translate back, but it can tell you what they're saying in real time. Isn't that amazing? And if they have it, if they have right. it, then you can exactly. That's it exactly right. Fish, right. So yeah. I think English as the universal language probably has a limited lifespan. I mean, I just, I, I don't know. It, People probably always it, want to be able to talk face to face and not have to have a but technological I, but I think, device. But, but I think in, in that, I think maybe that's the, the Udon or the Ram Don or whatever. Um, Ram Don. Maybe the point, maybe the point of that is to, to demonstrate the importance of language to culture though. Right. And I've talked about this. I think you and I have talked about this a couple of times. So when England conquered Wales, okay, Wales didn't put up much of a fight. Wales is like, okay, all right, you can, you can. You As can, a one-quarter Welshman, I'd like to uh, to voice my objections to that. Statement. No, no, they 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 acceded to to England, and they and they said okay, but and then in turn, England essentially allowed them to keep their culture. That didn't happen to Scotland. Scotland. Um, continued to resist, continued to resist, continued to resist. When England finally conquered them, they destroyed their language. Like Scott, there is no, like Scotland, like in, in Wales, they speak Welsh. That's the first language. No. It's not it's like not that. No, no, no. It no, is. No, it is. No, no. It, it is At, spoken. You, you, you can hear well, Welsh in Wales, but it's not the first language. The first language is definitely English. But pe pe there is Welsh uh, in places, but. I, I think if, we could we could disagree. On I that. never if, heard if, anybody if, speak if, Gaelic in Scotland. I, I right. think it exists exists in some of the western parts yeah but Ga gaelic is different well, welsh scottish, is more though. welsh is more alive than scottish i will give you i will give you that but it's not the first language in wales you, you're definitely mm. going to speak english in wales but no not if you're welsh i mean if, I, you, if, you, if you're if you, if you speak english it's your first language but and they all speak english but they every roadside has welsh and then underneath yeah, it true. is english that's true. Un underneath yeah. it is english and it's like yeah, the yeah that's sign. on signs that's more of a making a political point but yeah but I mean, they all speak English. So, but I, but what I'm saying is that I think, as a matter of pride and culture, they keep Welsh oh, yeah. uh, alive. You know, yeah. and I think it's probably the easiest way to destroy a culture is to take away the language. We we know we tried to we tried to do that with every Native American tribe in this country. You know, yeah. at one point yeah. or another, quite effectively um, in a lot of examples. And a lot of them, a lot of them, we did. Same with like the Hawaiians, the Native Hawaiians and stuff. But so I think there's a statement on that. I think that's a, sort of a subtle statement about culture, you know, and that Korea is losing, you know, that's maybe what that's one of the things that's lost to capitalism is the culture itself, right? There's a paving over of all the cultural differences that happens in what a lot of people would refer to as end stage capitalism, right? Like mm -hmm. there's a there's a universality that happens. And definitely I have watched when I was young and I went to Europe and then when I go now as an adult mm -hmm. or as an as an older adult, the Ubiquity very, of English, very, very way, much older adult. Yes, very much very older, much right? Older adult. Yeah. There's way more English today than there was right. when I was a young man. Right. You know, there's one currency right. all over Europe. It's everything right. all about right. paving over right. these differences. You know, um, right. which is obviously is a, having one currency is super convenient. Having it is. one language is it a, you can is talk over where you go is super convenient. Is that a good but thing though? I don't know. Convenience I mean, the, is nice. You know that people the go for convenience in the short term, and then and they realize that their culture has been eroded. You know, I mean, the, you know, so. the, the franc, the, the franc was around for hundreds of years, just like uh, the pound, the British pound. That when they went back to it, or actually, did they ever get away? No, from no it? they they never got rid of the pound. The Euro, yeah, they, they never, never got rid of it. Rome. Yeah, they never got yeah. rid of it. But like the Deutschmark, the 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 franc, yep. you know, and and all these the other Germans. currencies that. What was uh? What was what did Italy have? Was that the lira? Uh, lira, yeah. You know, so these are all marks of their culture. You know, it's funny. I talked. I, I spoke to um, this guy that I knew in grad school, and he was from um, 
he was from the Netherlands. And it was right after the EU formed. Well, I think they had formed before, but it was like around 2000 and something, um, early 2000s. Maybe that's when the EU finally like formed completely. And I mentioned to him the yeah that the euro the euro conversion was sometime after like around then 2003 yeah, 2004 so yeah. And um, and I had mentioned the similarities between that. The United States is not one big country. The United States is made up of 50 yeah. states that create a a federation, right? Well, that's a conflict, obviously, since day one in America. To what extent are we one country, and to what extent are we fifty different countries? Right, is a right. Continuing argument. So, yeah. But, but, but the point is that I don't know. It's some, it's some way to look at it through one lens. We're fifty mm -hmm. different small countries, right. Right. united, right? The United States. Right. And I mentioned that to him. The similarities, and he, he, he just wouldn't have it. I said, "Well, that's what the the EU is. The EU is just like the United States, where all of you countries are now." Coming together, you've got you've got one central governing body uh, in in Belgium. Um, mm -hmm. You've got one currency to unite you all together. You have the EU actually has a military force, yeah. and he and he just would not see it. He's like, no, 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 we're our own country with our own culture, and everything else. And I'm like, well, okay, <laughs> but this is not this has nothing to do with what we're talking about. No, so. no, it do, it it does because it's, what, it's what fun. We're, what we're what we're talking about is the Korean culture and the observations of capitalism paving over, right. as you said, globalization. You know, this is yeah, this is an anti-capitalist and anti-globalization message to a large extent. Yeah. I think Probably I think so. capitalism up here, hundred percent. You cannot watch this film without the Marxist critique. It is a Marxist yeah. critique. Right. Just under that is the anti-globalization message, which I think was more powerful in the host. Uh, th that was more at the front at the front of this. Although, like you said, the English language thing is not in the background of the film it's a big part of the right. film although the weird thing is is that the ones so this is an interesting question so the one skill that the young man excels in that kevin excels in he's not passing his tests in all the other subjects he kills it in english mm -hmm. and yet fails to enter that globalized society what is yeah. that so what is that what does that say maybe well I guess, there's a defeatist attitude that i that i noticed when kevin's talking to his friend that was the tutor you know, he keeps right. saying, oh, I'll never amount to anything. You know, you're so much better than me. I mean, there's this really defeatist attitude. And I wonder, okay, so is it the character or is the director making a statement about that class? Like they're they're defeated. Like you said, they're defeated. They'll never make it. But do they have that attitude that I'm defeated and I'll never make it? Like, does that go hand in hand with their position? Is Absolutely. that what the director's doing? Or, or is he, oh, so you think it is? Well, you mean, okay, so we had, so this is always a, a confusing interplay between what the reality is, what's mm -hmm. depicted, and what the yeah. director intended to depict. And right. then again, what does the director actually think? In this case, I feel like the director, to a large extent, believes the pessimist narrative about South Korea. Mm -hmm. So anything that we're seeing in the film that is not that is reality creeping through the filter of what the director believes. You know, the, the author's filter is very important to what we're seeing in the film. But um, yeah, it, we're seeing a lot of pessimism from these people. And the question you have to ask is, does the pessimism hold you back or is the pessimism just reality? Is the right. reality this kid's never going anywhere in life? Because yeah. what ends up happening at the end of the film is he's not pessimistic. He believes he's going to earn enough money to buy that multi-million dollar house and, and free his father. Right. So he's no longer pessimistic. But the director believes he's never going to make it. So this guy has bought into a false narrative of bootstrapping yourself up mm. and becoming mm. successful. But the director thinks it's BS. Mm. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't really... Yeah. You know, the, the, the revolt failed. The violent revolt against right. capitalism failed. And the only thing right. left is to buy into the system and try to make it. But it's doomed, according to the but director. It will never work. So yeah. I believe to some extent somebody in a poor, a poor person in a capitalist society, the odds of them acquiring what the Park family have are, are long. I still think the dream, if you're lower class and achieving middle class status in America, and I don't know about Korea, but maybe in Korea to some extent, is still real, right? You mm -hmm. can acquire middle-class status. You can move from mm -hmm. lower class to middle class, but if you're sitting there looking at what Donald Trump has and dreaming about being Donald Trump, good luck, mm -hmm. man. Because the people, there's a couple of people who have, a guy like Bill Gates who's had the mobility to become as wealthy as Donald Trump. He didn't start 
as a lower class person. Right, he started right. as somebody who had a garage where he could work and his parents owned a home. He was a middle class person, maybe Bill even Gates? upper middle class. Yeah, yeah. Bill, Bill Gates's parent, I, dad was a lawyer, I think a, a very wealthy lawyer. Exactly. And, so uh, it, I think he got he got to the upper classes and made a ton of money by being smart and hardworking and right. industrious and, and all these positive traits, but he didn't move yeah. from the lower class. To well, yeah, he no, I mean, he was he was born on third base, essentially. Um, yeah, and, and so second, it, it, right? Middle class, I yeah. think, is you're in scoring position. You know, you well, still, think, need, I, still need a hit I, to score, but... I think Bill Gates was, was well up there because he went to, if I remember correctly, he went to a very prestigious like high school that one had access to like one of the first, you know, mainframe computers or something. I was going to say access to, access to computing technology yeah. in the seventies was not, yeah. was not. And, and his, his high school that. happened to have it. And it's because his high school happened to be a very prestigious high school. And he was able to go there because his father was a wealthy lawyer. So, right. Right. You know, right. It, it's, it's and obviously like Trump, what, inherited, Trump inherited money from his father. Right. You know, yeah, absolutely. It, I think he got he got like a he got a small ten million dollar loan from his father or something like that. I don't really know. I don't really know the personal stories of Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, but I believe they were at least middle class people. And I, I think, think Elon, Elon Musk, Musk was slightly more than that. Yeah, I think his father um, was like a mining engineer or something like that, yeah, and, and yeah. I think it, he was pretty well to do. But yeah, I mean, you're but right. I think there, it's and silly. I think it's silly for people to say that, like, the reason we we like living in a free market society is because we're trying to go from lower class to Bill Gates. I think that's a ridiculous yeah. dream. You know, I mean, it, no, yeah, you're not going to do that. What you, the American dream, I think, is is ending up owning a house and yeah. not having to worry about food on the table and stuff like right. that. Like that's, I'm okay with that. Like that's, I see people do that. I, I like I said, I grew up with a lot of people whose parents were immigrants. Yeah. And they came here with nothing and they built, they bought a house and they had a nice job and their families did well. They sent their kids to college. Yeah. That's it. I'm good. I'm happy with a country that can do that for people. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't need the Bill Gates dream. I, and see, I don't know enough about Korea to say, I don't know how much operability yeah. there is there. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't, I really couldn't say. And I, and I know for a fact, if an immigrant moved there, that they would not be able to do that. Although, although I think you had a really, really good point. You know, they are poor, but yet they all have cell phones. They they live in a they have an apartment, you know they have food they might not like it. There's definitely a gap between them and impoverished people in like developing countries. Yes. So, the, so I think glo the 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 triumph of globalization and the triumph of global capitalism and the lowering of trade barriers and things like that. Mm -hmm. it, it, this is my belief is directly responsible for all these countries that were third world countries when you and I were born that are mm -hmm. now good places to live even for their poorest citizens yeah i think that places like south korea and china are way better arguments for all the globalization and capitalism than what's happened in america over those same years which is probably a little bit of a decreasing of of standards i don't know because you can get you know i was just at walmart not a decreasing of standards and it, 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 that's not that's not the wrong, right term because I, I think we have more than we had when we were kids i guess what yeah. i mean to say is a, a growing division there's more division of people than there used to be. At least that's, I, I think, I don't know. That's a complicated no, argument, but, but maybe, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't study economics enough to, to really know. I know there's a lot. It's funny because I think both you and I, our personal experience was yeah. not having very much money as kids. And then, right. and, and it sounds like you had a more extreme case than me, but I have more than I had when I was. A yeah, kid, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Which sure. is the way it's supposed to go in, in the yeah. American dream. And I'm not fabulously wealthy. But right. I just have more than I had when I was a kid. So well, I'll tell you this: my my to house me, does working. not my house does not have wheels under it. So that's a that's a start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't go. I don't have I don't have a hole. In the not pool. that there's anything wrong with that. That's a perfectly acceptable no. uh, uh, living arrangement. They, they I've, seen those, I've seen those. I've seen like the double wides for sale and stuff like that. I was thinking that's yeah. a perfectly clean place to live, and like that's that's well, they make them a lot better than, now than they they do. I think mine, yeah. the one that I, I grew up in, was made if I if I remember correctly, 1967. So pretty trashy but no i think i think there's a lot of really good points and i guess you know we're coming to that time let me let me go with my surprise okay so so sort of two surprise my minor surprise i didn't realize that he directed snowpiercer yeah yeah i didn't which either. is which is which either. is a cult cult classic and became a, a series on was it uh, hbo or netflix one of the two i think it's a netflix and, show and and fantastic one and uh so i'm gonna go back and watch it i think and look for those themes um, but mm -hmm. you have you have the class division there too, right? I've never Ukraine. seen it. 
It's been okay, on my well, list to watch for years. So it's kind of it's kind of like Titanic in, in that you have everybody in the lower right. class they're all at the bottom right. of the ship. You know, it's it's like that on the train too. The 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 wealthier have their their wealthy coaches with all the great trimmings and and those that are not have kind of crap where they have to live and there's revolts and everything else. Whenever I get on a plane with my family, we have like a running joke where, mm-hmm. you know, they board by group. And right. You know, we, we're always like in the, you know, group 12. And so I'm always <laughs> right, like, yeah, right. it's, you know, there's, there's the rich people, then there's the rich people's pets, and then there's the Irish <laughs> right. and the livestock, and then there's yeah. us in group 12. Yeah, there's so. us. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, especially if you have kids, you just want to get on the stupid plane. But so, so, oh, my biggest surprise though, I guess my, you know, my biggest surprise was like, so I went into this totally blind, just like you, um, or I guess I should say vision impaired. Uh, so I had no idea about it. I, I, I had no, you know, misgivings, qualms, nothing. I didn't know anything about it at all. I guess I was surprised at how much of a statement it is coming from Korea. I mean, I didn't know what to expect. I, uh, I, I didn't, yeah, I just I, I didn't realize that it is such a political statement, and that it makes sense why here's a, here's it, a question why it because, won so much because of that. Oh yeah, yeah, but but here's a question: like, mm-hmm. what it kept reminding me of was Godzilla, because Godzilla. Mm-hmm. My biggest surprise in watching the film is I was like, oh my god, this is just a political piece. Yeah, yeah. It also functions as a very entertaining film that you could eat popcorn right. and watch, but it's right. really a big statement piece. And I'm wondering, is that like a thing in Asia? Is it is it that they have a tradition of of producing movies that are political statements, or is it some kind of remove that I have as a foreigner watching the movie that I can see the statements? Hmm. I don't know. It's a really. I think that'd be a really interesting um, thesis to put together just to talk maybe, about. Yeah, maybe, maybe so. I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's a very <laughs> deep question. There's a lot of layers. It's to a it, deep but, question. It, it's not um, something I'm prepared to discuss in any intelligent way, but it, it's. I think it would be a fruitful field of study for somebody to look into that. Question. I think so. I think so. Yeah. But but I think also like what I just said, it could be misconstrued as you know chauvinistic in that you know what you never thought that they could like a South Korean could make some you know a statement a political statement or they can't be oh, that no, deep no, or no. whatever. Yeah, no, that I would, would be that, no, that's not yeah, what that, I'm that, and that, and that's not what I'm saying either. I'm just saying no, I, no, I didn't no. I didn't know what to expect. And when I when I started watching, I'm like, holy cow, this is a complete symposium on uh, you know on anti capitalist Marxist thought. I love that it does that while still making me laugh and keeping uh, me. Yeah, it's a great and that's the thing. It's a great film. story. Yeah, like it's a great story. Yeah, it's not a lecture. You know, no. it's, it's, it's no. a great, it's, it's a really, it's a really well-made film. Um, I yeah. will say though, I think a lot of its, its awards and so forth can be attributed to the fact that it is Marxist because I think, I think most film critics are probably very, yeah, I think that's uh, true. Pro- probably have, true. have that, that play. I mean, if this was like pro-capitalist, you know, pro-West, I don't think this would have gotten any award. You know what? So what you were saying about snow piercer reminds me of a comment that is not my biggest surprise but i I do want to get this out there is that this this film is being turned into a series yeah i don't remember if it's netflix or what but um it's just the backstories of some of the people that were involved it's got mark ruffalo attached to the project and some other big name actors so to me a lot of the things i have said that i loved about this film Mm -hmm. the originality and the texture of it and stuff like that and then turning it around and turning it into a limited series on Netflix, or I'm mm-hmm. just saying that because I don't know what platform it's on. That is exactly what is wrong with movies today. Is yeah. it's just, just go create some original content for God's sake. Stop milking the stuff that happened before. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And it's no piercer remind me of that because I remember there was yeah. a show about it. Maybe the show's great. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen it, but right. I'm just trying to say and maybe this one will be great because it sounds like it's a pretty rich environment that they've created. I'm just like, oh my God, the cheap thing to do. The cheap thing to do is to generate the new ideas and to generate the new scripts. Stop repurposing. You must Stop have seen remakes in- of Total Recall. You know, like we don't need. You must that. have seen Indoor Indoor lately or something like that, huh? I did watch Indoor. Actually, <laughs> actually, was pretty good, but it, it was pretty good. Actually, I think Kenobi is a bigger example of what I'm talking about. I'm just like, yeah. I didn't need this. This is just rehashing yeah. the same. Right. I know what's happening anyway. In general, I just think there's too much of that going on. But um, my biggest surprise was that I was familiar with the film The Host, and I knew this movie and the particular style of this director. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was a horror movie. I thought huh. it was 
called Parasite. I thought there was some monster that was going to be the Parasite. In my right. brain, host and Parasite are two things that are uh, related. I see. And I yeah. just, I thought that's what I was watching. I was 45 minutes into this film before I realized it had not, it was not going to turn into a horror movie. <laughs> I would have watched this movie three years ago if I knew it wasn't a horror movie. I'm not a big horror really? movie guy. Yeah. Like, I would have said, if, if somebody told me, no, this is a dark comedy set in South Korea, I would have been on board from day one yeah. and I would have watched yeah. it. it just that's funny. It was that's not funny. What I thought the film oh, was. But by the way, so who's the parasite here? It's, it's dual. Yeah, so it's a comment right. on there's, there's the, the house and the guy living in the basement who's eating that the, the housekeeper's eating twice the food she should be because she's feeding her husband. Clearly right. that's like a reference to like a tapeworm, right? Yeah. That's she has to eat twice as much because she's not actually eating the food. She's giving it to somebody else. But right. then there's another, the more Marxist critique version is that this family that can't even wash their own butts right. has all this money while they're living off the labor of the proletariat basically. Yeah. Um, which I don't, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure Nathan Park, whatever his job is, I'm sure he creates value in some way and he's rich for a reason. Um, I don't think that that's a correct critique, but yeah. I believe that's what, that's the dual reference there. And, and they are paying them very well. So, I mean, they're not exploiting. Yeah, we're not, labor, we're not you know? specifically told how much they're being paid, but it must be. I think they seem to be happy with the money. Yeah. Paying, so. I, well, she, she whips out all this cash stuff in envelopes and, that gets to the, the the testing regime critique that we've been talking about is that these are people that have no education and no training and no skills, basically. Mm -hmm. And you're like, why? You know, they're, they're being paid decently to work for this family, but they're not being paid as much as this family. And I'm like, well, but you don't have any skill yeah, that anybody right. should have to pay you right. for. Well, people only yeah. pay you if you actually produce value with what right. you do. You know, if your right. job is you can drive people around, everybody can do that. You know, anybody could learn to do that in a pretty, pretty short amount of time. That's the whole point of it right. being called unskilled labor. But, you know, that's whatever. I don't think that's how this guy feels. I think this guy feels if you work really hard and you get blisters on your hands, you should be paid more. But that's not how economics works. But right. We'll get to the point where we where we make a decision about this. I yep. ended up I, I think that the, the interpretive value of this film alone, I think, makes it worthy of being called a classic. I think the quality of the filmmaking makes it worthy of being class the classic the fact that it operates like i said effectively on the popcorn movie level and on the interpretive level i i just love stuff like that that's what i want that's what i want from art i want to be entertained and be able to think about something and mm -hmm. i'm going to go home happy that's that's what i want so to me classic i'm good let's put this in the canon let's keep watching this for years someday it will be adjectively a classic and right now it is only noun a classic so I, I leave. I leave the floor to Mr. to Dr. Lanier. Well, I, I will say because of because I found that second definition, I feel a lot better about calling this a classic. <laughs> right. I, I would. I will say. I think you're absolutely right. I think this is going to gain momentum, and this will be taught in film classes. You know, for those that are studying film and 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 are going for maybe theater arts, and so this will be taught. You know, for screenplay and writing and 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 so forth yeah. for years to come. And I think there's going to be a lot a lot more criticism. Uh, and again, in that academic sense, meaning uh, discussing the theories and so forth that were in the film, I think we're going to see a lot more of it uh, in years to come. This came out in 2019, so it had not even a full year, maybe I think it was like half a year before COVID hit. I think had COVID not been a factor, I think people would be talking a lot more about this movie probably, but, you know, global events. But I think, uh, you know, as things sort of get back to whatever the new normal is, I think, yeah, I think this will, this will go on and just have that momentum that really great movies do. And, and I think at the very least, you know, it certainly deserved all the accolades it got. I'll put this in for a classic. So cheers. Okay, great. Cheers. Clink. When we say kumbe. Kumbe. All right. Which actually happens in the movie. So it's a little bit of Korean that's right. learning. That's right. So, uh, well, so that's our, that's our episode then. That's our episode. That's our show for this week, everybody, or for this two-week period. I guess we're at, if we've admitted that we're on a bi-weekly schedule from here on out. Right. I would like to thank everybody for joining us on Toasting the Classics. I had a lot of fun discussing this movie. I hope you did too, Clint. This is fun. Uh, thank you for joining us. And I'm, I'm going to plug my book real quick. Uh, it's coming out. They keep changing the date, March, April, and May <laughs> of next year. It's called oh, uh, Tet. I feel like that's a lot sooner than we thought it was going to be, isn't it? Yeah, well, certainly a lot sooner than I thought it was going to be. Uh, okay, great. It's called, great. It's called uh, Ted Mac. 
and America's first black-owned brewery, The Rise and Fall right. of People's Beer. So uh, nice. please go out, find the book, pre-order if you can, uh, both of you that are listening, and, and I, this, would, uh, I would appreciate it. Hmm? And I just want to let everybody know that this book functions as a page-turner and a suspenseful book, but also is a Marxist critique of our American society. <laughs> well, cer- certainly the beer with both hands. <laughs> Maybe the beer industry, for sure. All right, but thanks for joining us, everybody. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. And, uh, Later. Later, That's it for episode 67 of Toasting the Classics. For those playing along at home, get some Pabst Blue Ribbon, the closest thing to the bland taste of Duff beer, for our discussion of the first episode of The Simpsons. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, comments, complaints, and let us know who you're hiding in your basement. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at @attractivenuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics. Thank you.